All right, guys, welcome to the podcast. We're going to jump in to a charity uh, sponsor today, magickids.com. That's M-A-G-I kids.org. I, I, I did it again. I keep screwing you it up. I did this again. another week, but... She did it again. You know, magickids.org, because it is a charity, and this charity really is intended to help new players and new, and children use Magic the Gathering in different open spaces, whether it be at school, homeschooling events, community events, even at their local magic store to set up training sessions. And you can donate your money. You can donate cards and send them, uh, cards directly to them. Or you could become a teacher and be a sponsor of them, and they'll send kits out to you to have your own lesson club in your area and it's really great to see a lot of the feedback on the website um i homeschool during high school and i just think it's a fantastic program that you can use it even in education purposes teachers are getting kits sent to them to have an extracurricular activity at school really help these guys out give them your money give them your cards or donate your time and become a volunteer magickids.org wink wink and let's start the show Welcome to This Week in MTG with your host, Rob Zolson. Good morning, one and all. I'm sitting in the studio and it is 6.55 a.m. in Minnesota right I mean, now. We go hard at this stuff, to be honest. Oh, man. It's the first time I've drank coffee and probably... I don't know. I've been on a diet. Well, it's kind of weird to see you in the kitchen <laughs> making something this morning. Oh, man. Just even being awake. I, I normally work like 11 to 8. <laughs> so uh, I I dug out the coffee, filled it with hazelnut creamer. Thank you, wife. And it's this a good it's a good morning. You know, I'm, I'm feeling preppy. And I have in with me today the bacon, man. Hey, what's going on? You know, this is kind of not an, an, un- an unnormal time for me. I mean, I usually go to work between the hours of 5 a.m. and 8. Well, I mean, we just used the word unnormal, so it's morning. Whew. I mean, sort of. So, it's uh, the reason we're getting up so early is because we are super excited to have with us in the audience today yes. Pure from Mage, from magemarket.com. How are you doing today, buddy? Hey, Robs, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'm so happy that you took the time in the early morning to meet me in Germany. So Where it's like 2 I'm sitting here there. in a lovely <laughs> office. It's uh, 2, 2 p.m. So Nice guess, by the way, Bacon, on that time <laughs> zone. Thanks. No, uh, we really appreciate it. And um, we'll do an interview in the second half of the podcast, but just uh, just a quick overview up here. You're the CEO of MageMarket.com, and your product's going to be coming out the beginning of October. Is that correct? Yes. So um, a little bit of background. We used to build an app to scan magic cards that was called Snap Cardster. Um, we recently um, got accepted to Y Combinator, which is one of the biggest accelerator programs for young companies. Um, and in the meantime, we've renamed and basically changed the company from uh, just scanning cards to also facilitating trades. So, yeah, we basically launched the new marketplace, which we call Mage 2.0, in October. So everything you said is correct. Fantastic. Well, we can't wait to dive in, and we're happy to have you. But 
let's kick this off. What festivals? I mean, it's Friday right now, it's and I'm gonna Friday. have this out by the end of the day. So, what festival <laughs> is gonna be out this weekend, buddy? Well, today, since today is the uh, first annual Area 51 raid. Oh, that it is! It's the twentieth. I is. haven't checked the news. It is. They they have no, a li- they have a live stream going on. Oh, I bet they have a ton of live streams. <laughs> There's a live stream going on. But anyway, wait, wait. You were saying, Pierre? Run, <laughs> <laughs> run. Uh, anyway, so twentieth through the twenty second, we have Magic Fest Atlanta, and then the October fourth through the sixth, we have Magic Fest Montreal. Excellent. So, again, you can get your poutine. We can. Uh, have some live coverage this weekend, boys. Please. 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 <laughs> so the first the first time I figured out uh, it followed you on Twitter, Pierre, is one of my episodes prior, we were complaining like we always do when there's no coverage. And you actually got some Reddit attraction for your post saying that you top five, uh, top aided at Minneapolis GP. And I just thought that was hilarious because I knew better because I live in Minnesota. But there was no coverage to prove otherwise. Yeah, that was that was actually uh, a pretty stupid idea that uh, Andreas and I had. And uh, I was just sitting at my parents. Uh, I was doing some off time from from the company work, and I was just um, complaining again, as the same 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 as you, that there is no coverage. And we recently stopped endorsing uh, GP teams because there was again no coverage and there was no real. A benefit for sponsors so i just said well if there's no coverage and if the, the echo is is on on social media why not just post that you top eight because i, I well, think see. this would be a fun fun idea and then uh but uh, so a lot of people have obviously congratulated me on twitter like direct messages and um i instantly told them hey this is a joke this is a like i, I call it experiment call it whatever you want but Basically telling them directly, this is a, this is a joke, um, yeah, and then you, explaining why I did it. And uh, you got some traction. This on was blowing up. I think it was pretty pretty fun. I was drowning in a lot of messages, um, which was great because people didn't double check. Uh, like they didn't. There, there was a website. There was a tax coverage website, um, and I think I started reporting at like around eleven. That I'm like eleven two, and then twelve two, etc. So I'm like building up this this joke um so it was it was pretty realistic but everyone who's just putting in like half a minute of time would, would see that i'm not there or just scroll down in my social media and see that i'm in germany enjoying life with my dog that's an interesting way to go in and think about it is the sponsorships that's really the heart and soul for a lot of pro players and if you're unable to sponsor because it's not getting coverage that's just hurting people being a pro player now it has to expect more prize money to get people to go so that's 100 percent. yeah we had the same topic uh, yesterday at the tapped out podcast and uh, we basically said we we were unable to sponsor players who are just going to gps um just because of this so there is uh back in the days when there was um gp coverage we were live tweeting the whole event uh, we had someone go to the gps to make photos of the players um, and then tweeted, and that usually was like uh, 100 to 200,000 impressions uh, just on that day. And now you all you have all you have at the end of the day is just a tweet saying I top eight it. Like that's the outcome of a GP. Right. And if I if I can get that tweet impressions by just posting it, um, there's just my my take on whether people believe it or not. And it seems like people did believe. Um, 
there was uh, some some people on Reddit saying that uh, I sort of like get got everyone to to like and retweet it, but in fact um, there was more like I, I told it Andreas, like the our Pro Tour player player, and everyone who retweeted and liked etc cetera, etc cetera, did it without knowing, and then I approached them, so there was like. Uh, like afterwards so it was not like a, a planned PR joke it was more like I was sitting on the couch thinking well this is pretty bad I want to watch a GP why not just show show the magic well now all that Twitter ad revenue that... all that ad revenue that was going to the player it just has to go to a podcast that's all I'm saying 100% yes <laughs> <laughs> alright well d- diving into our next subject normally I would talk about some finance but this week you know, again, this is Friday, and we have one raid. We, yeah. Area fifty one raid, but we have a lot less of a week between episodes. So I'd like to take a, a minute, and I've been talking with some store owners, and this new set is hurting sales entirely. It's not because the power level; it's not like some core set where it's slightly underpowered and people aren't maybe buying into it like they were other sets like M twenty. This is much different. The power level of Throne of Eldraine is certainly raising for standard. There may be some niche modern pieces, and there's certainly some commander pieces we're seeing from the Brawl sets. So as far as flavor, amazing. Power level, turned up. You know, card quality as far as, you know, um, artwork, playability, it's all there. But because Magic the Gathering decided to make these new collector's packs, the market is extremely skittish. They don't want to pay $400 retail for a collector's box. It, it's that's, that's way more out of our pocket. Mm-hmm. If we wanted to go get a premiere set, something, say, like Eternal Masters, Modern Horizons, we were only paying that $200 a box, which now yeah. Modern Horizons is still like that $140, $145 American. And yeah. it, it's... It's scaring the market because this is a standard set. Sure, we're getting promotional cards, you know, better borders, altar art, but it's still a standard set for $400. So let's say you're a new player, and this is now, what, your fourth pre-release? You understand that buying a box for $100 at the door is a normal pre-release price. Even if it dips down to that 80 bucks. You don't feel cheated because eventually it's going to go up over time. Now that there's a new collector's uh, set, we don't know what the traditional booster box prices are going to be. So you don't want to buy a booster box. You don't want to buy a collector box. You're just going to sit and wait back. Maybe you've not even go to your pre-release until you know the market volatility and wait for everything to balance out. Maybe it goes up. Maybe it goes way down. But people aren't going to pay $400 for a collector's box. And what this is doing to magic stores across uh, North America, I'm not sure how international works, but they have to pre-purchase their product, otherwise they risk not having anything in stock. They have to order their numbers up front. So especially with these limited runs, which is the collector's edition is, they have to buy everything up front and then take the risk. So it's, it's not only a risk for the players that they're not wanting to buy in, but the store has to risk this as well. So a co- the cost... For retail is somewhere around that 360 mark on an estimate, so they're making 40 bucks on a box, which is n- nothing for store to make money because they have overhead yeah. of their building and costs. They have labor 
they have marketing, they have real cost, and they need a flat percentage just to be able to keep the lights on. That is not enough money in that product. So let's say they order it, and of course the product reestablishes at, say, 280 a box. They have now hosed themselves, and they're not getting their money back in their inventory, and they're selling those boxes at a massive loss. So stores are canceling orders. Players are not making pre-release orders, and it's really devastating a lot of the local markets, at least that I've researched. And talking with different store owners, they, they really don't know what to do. If they don't order it in, they're not going to have it in stock. So it's just a very risky process that Magic has put us in. Now, let's say Wizards of the Coast put out this new collector's box with MSRP. They can, base upon a real MSRP value, what a um, risk would be for the product. So let's say MSRP was $400. At least that's the marked MSRP value, and they know it's only going to crash X ticks below MSRP. Then we could take a risk, more people would purchase it. But because there's no MSRP, the product is too volatile and people are scared. And it's, it has nothing to do with the set. This is an amazing set. I think it's the most flavorful set we've had in a very, very long time. So That's true. I don't know what, what players to do. I don't know what to recommend. I know that I would like a collector's box, but I'm not paying $400 for it because no. I truly don't believe it. No. When Modern Horizons came out, a clearly superior power level set, which you know is going to be a set in time that's going to be that you know $300 box. We know what modern master's boxes cost right now. Mm -hmm. So when right. I came up to the store, I was happy to give my store a $200 bill for that box, even though right now they're only $140, $145, because in the future, those cards are going to be worth it, and I know I'm going to be in modern. Now we can't do that with this set, and it's really hurting stores. So, you know, I don't, I don't know who's listening, but... It's, it's a real tricky situation to put stores in and customers. So, off to some, some better news. Magic Arena has rolled back their historic options. They started talking Ooh. about historic, and it was going to cost, I don't know what they call it, the, the generic cards where you have to actually purchase uh, a select card. So you have this mythic card, and you can go select a mythic card from Magic's uh, past. They're going to have it cost two of those cards instead of just the normal one because it's historic and no longer in rotation just for people to spend more money in the, the product. That's unfair. If you're going to have a set, even if it's not in standard rotation, it's going to be part of the historic format, they should just keep it the normal price. They're going to make their money. It just encourages newer players to make more affordability, so they rolled it back. It's only going to cost one card, and they're going to actually allow people to buy booster packs of the sets rotated out for now. They were going to cut the sales of the booster packs in uh, Magic Arena to some arbitrary, what they call historic bundle, where you had to buy 45-piece um, set, which is ridiculous. So now they've <laughs> changed that. They went by pure customer demand, so they certainly listened to the market, and they're keeping it. They're seeing that this it, uh, brawl is getting popular, and... People are going to want to buy Ixalan packs way after rotation. I think what we've noticed in the past is that Wizards is um, listening way more, especially in the digital space, um, so that the arena changes have been really fast. Uh, if there is some outcry. Um, but it's the classic 
um, I would call it like the classic strategy of anchoring, you know, like in, in negotiation, you try to anchor at a really abstract high price and then you get a pushback and then you lower the price, but you're still higher than the, let's say the, the fair market price. So I think what they've done is they, there was maybe like a meeting and it's a, it's a valid point to say, well, we want to support the new rotated, the, the standard legal cards. And historic might end up being like the the digital legacy where Wizards is not making a lot of money. Um, so I see that there is some way to to incentivize new sets. Um, but this anchoring strategy, you can't only you you can't do it every single day because then ends up happening is that people are like, hey, why do you always make such bad decisions and then roll them back? Why not make good decisions in the first place? It's... So I think it's great that they roll it back. But it also shows a lot of how internal uh, pricing strategies work. So there's, uh, um, which is just there's an ebb and flow with a lot of these price points, and doing that as like a negotiation to the market just pisses off customers. I get that that happens, and people want feedback to know what they're actually willing to pay. But now we're we're sitting at you know they're trying to double up the historic cost. They rolled it back. They're sitting, you know, we want you to pay $400 for a collector's booster set. There's just a lot yeah. of, I don't know, burnout of Magic's prices, and I don't think that this yeah. is the time to do it. I think it's very similar to the Mythic boxes, the what's it called, the Mythic, um, you know, the, the Teferis and, and stuff. Um, there was a really, really high price point for a very small amount of cards, and even though the price was really high, people were like storming like the the area 51 raid into the stores and into the into no it wasn't even the store the the Hasbro online shop whatever it was um so i think on the one hand you have really high expectations and then you also have people who are willing to pay the price um i think at some point we we as a community need to need to just say well not every product is right for me so i'm i'm not the person who's buying like the better bonds or the unstable sets like i'm i'm not that type of a casual person but i'm also not the type of person who's buying these mythic or uh, collector's boxes so i think at some point it does make sense to have really pricey products for a very tiny niche but um it's it's all about having just and and making sense to to the whole ecosystem and if one single niche let's say the, the high premium niche uh May ha causes troubles for the overall market, which you just explained that the shops are insecure and the price might tax on on booster boxes, etc. Then that's a real issue. Like I'm fine if there's an exclusive box that I'm not going to buy, but as soon as it's, as soon as it has like side effects on the overall market, then that's a really red red flag, I think. Right, and just to explain, you know, volatility and how people are realizing that they're just going to keep pumping these products out and we have to be selective on which ones we want to purchase. The promo set that was supposed to be, you know, a, a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive didn't sell enough of. Clearly they had too much and they lowered the price and had another day to resell it. It was supposed to be an exclusive and they they just got rid of that because they had too much product. Yeah. So people are finally now realizing that, you know, we're only going to purchase what we want and you need to have a better strategy on this. But... 
To dive in to the throne of Eldrain spoil uh, spoilers, we're going to use a tool called MythicSpoiler.com, and we got a lot of sweet spoilers this happy. last week. I'm kind of happy. Two more Merfolk came out. Yeah, two more Merfolk. Two more Merfolk came out. Bacon's always nice. the Merfolk player. Happy. Well, sort of. One one fits yours. Your well, strategy. Hit me with it. Uh, let's see. Which one is it? This one? Um, no, it's the other one. So it's this one over here. Uh, Merfolk Secret Keeper. It is a one drop zero four. Um, it has a venture deeper for one, or the sorcery of advent adventure. Um, target player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard. So mill strategy Ooh. for you. So one mill four, or mm -hmm. you get a creature out of it, which for mill is pretty darn valuable. What is venture deeper? That would be just the name of the uh, the adventure. Is that the adventure? Okay. Right. That'd be the title of the adventure. So pay one. I, I could. I had, four. I had to look up a different way to read this because the picture they had on on uh, mythic spoilers was just terrible. It was either grainy or in Chinese, but they they do their best. But no, it's it's one to mill, four, and then you get to pay again to cast a creature. Which in mill, you know, one for four is not a lot because I'm a I'm a modern mill player uh, through and through. One for four <laughs> is not a lot. But having a creature that you can recast for the same card is card value. So even if you're not milling enough, you're getting a, a blocker in it. So I'd like to see some more mill come out in standard. I mean, it's only two mana regardless. You pay one for the venture, you pay one for the creature. Exactly. So there was also a bunch of mythics that were released this last week. And my personal favorite, they did these legendary artifacts that were super high cost. The Great Henge is a total of nine converted mana costs, seven colorless, two smokes. green. It's a green legendary artifact that this spell costs X less, where X is the greatest power among the creatures you control. So my Omnath Locus of Rage is going to need this. It has the ability to tap for two green and gain two life. And whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, put a 1-1 one -one counter on it and draw a card. So it's a draw engine, a buff engine, mana and uh, life gain, all in one tapped artifact. And it becomes cheaper for the bigger creature you have on the board. So I really need this card. More this card looks amazing. Um, a friend of mine was playing like um, uh, uh, in EDH, like the Elf stack, where this one, I forgot the legendary, which is making mana of its power, uh, of its power toughness, I don't know. Um, and I think this card is just amazing to buff your board uh, basically almost paid for two mana because it's very likely you have seven power and just draw cards, pump your team, draw cards. Uh, and then, I don't know, it looks, looks amazing. I think it's a, I think the, the average cost would be like four mana, I think, um, maybe having three or four power on the table. So it's still fine if you played for four mana, I think. Um, if you if you're looking for the late game, absolutely. I don't know about. Like, I don't think it's playable in any other format. Well, we don't we don't know because we don't know the rotation of what uh, creatures we can play. Right. Out. So it very well may be one of those add-ins against like a mono red deck in standard. But we'll we'll see Thanks. where that uh, has to sit out. But we know for a fact that, that will be used in commander. So the other uh, and the it's other, the other and it's only the highest power, right? So if it's not the combined power like other right. spells, it's the highest power. Yeah. Okay. And that's yes. why, you know, a mono green deck like Omnath Locus of uh, Mana, yeah. where he can just sit there and stack his power and toughness is really good for that. I hate it. 
<laughs> just like some some dinos, you know, the dinos come down really early, like the the Galtas and the dinosaur, whatever its name was, the five mana one. So I think there's some some ways to really play. I, I mean, I could see this play in standard. I don't know. I mean, absolutely depends on on the on, on the deck. So what was that other merfolk there? So the other making? merfolk is uh, Moonlit Scavenger. Sorry, the picture's really grainy. So whenever whenever Moonlit Scavenger enters a battlefield, you can. If you control an artifact or enchantment, return target creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand for six mana, five colorless, one blue, and it is a four, five. Not bad for a common, that's for sure. Mm -mm. I think one of the bigger pieces that came out this week, I think that everybody just lost their mind over, I think it came out yesterday, to be a matter of fact, is Hushbringer, a two-drop white uh, fairy. That's one, two. It has flying. It has a lifelink, and above all else, creatures entering the battlefield or dying don't cause abilities to trigger. Ooh. It's a better torporal orb. It oh. does dying triggers, man. It's the one from uh, Ixalan or Rivals Ixalan that um, oh, I can't remember its It name. did the same thing, but it didn't have <coughs> yeah, the, flying the, the, life. The flying thing, the it just, three, it just stopped yeah, yeah, yeah. EBTs. Yep. Uh, no, this card looks amazing. Um, I could totally see that in some sort of white weenie decks. Um, there's so many, so many triggers you remove. Even the dying triggers look amazing. Um, like the whole sacrifice mechanics don't work that way. It's going to um, be a sideboard so staple, a commander it even, staple. It's going to be a modern staple. Two keywords: flying lifelink, um, and it's a one-two that doesn't die from like. The minus one, minus one effects. Uh, I love it. It's the artwork is amazing. It looks beautiful. The the whole whole uh, makeup of the card. Um, love it. If you haven't seen the artwork, go on mythicspoiler.com and check this out. It has this sweet glow fairy, but then it has like some I don't know I don't know how to explain it. Like there's some weird uh, lips in the background, it like so hush. it's really seductive. It looks, like, it looks like a hush. It's a hush. Shh. Uh, and they're using the fairy for it. <laughs> and then the kisses around. <laughs> yes. So, you know, you know why it's not it's not causing triggers when creatures die because it hushes them to sleep. You know, like <laughs> exactly. Like, Rest in peace. <laughs> it reminds yeah, me of a yeah, Seb McKinnon art. Amazing. Yeah. So that I mean, we're we're super hyped on this, and then we're also seeing a you know a new land set, and the latest one that we saw is Dwarven Mine. It's a common land. It enters the battlefield tapped unless you control three other mountains. And when it enters, create a 1-1, one, one, when it enters untapped, create a 1-1 one, one dwarf creature token. So we're seeing a lot of these common cards come out, and it's really a homage to the um, Zendikar lands that we saw that were common. They just do a better job of it. Yeah. We should, uh, we should I do love that. I do love these fetch, fetch effects. Um, I think the next, uh, I mean, this card, I think from the power level is, is okay. I mean, fetching fetching for a token is usually a really good thing. I mean, fetching for a dried arbor for, for block, and it, it holds it, you. So It is keyword um, mountain, so it absolutely is fetchable, and that's the real key of these yes. cards. And you can you can even fetch it with, um, with uh, does it even fetch with the newest uh, spoiler card? I think there was this new fetch land. Uh, it would have to be basic with the new fetch and, land that came uh, out. But. Shit. Yeah, but that would be sweet. I mean, having the synergy in the same set. But um, we have been seeing a lot of uh, people online 
you know, poke fun at uh, Magic saying, oh, you can't make fetches because you're going to have to uh, shuffle their library now they're still doing uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> um, what do you do? I think I didn't even Mike Rosewater say that, uh, that they want, don't want to have fetches anymore in standard. And then, yep, here we go. <laughs> they said uh, that uh, card shuffling degrades the uh, play quality, but you can tell that they're just shifting because this works well in Arena, and that's their big focus. Mm. You know, mm. paper sells, but shuffling does does not hurt arena at all so i yeah. feel like this card right here is going to be commander only period hit me happy happily ever after it is a two colorless one white enchantment when happily ever after enters the battlefield each player gains five life and draws a card at the beginning of your upkeep if there are five color among permanents you control there are six or more card types among permanents you control and or cards in your graveyard, and your life total is greater or equal to your starting life total, you win the game. Abs you win the game strategies, what? man. Yeah, but, I mean... They're bringing them back to the power be, level. It's going to be commander only. I mean, try playing this that. This sounds standard. like a... This sounds like the best way to end like a group hack EDH game, like where <laughs> everyone's playing these kinds of weird Guys, attacks that we had are a fun for game, everyone. But I'm gonna end it happily <laughs> ever after. <laughs> Peace out. Wow, this is the most. This is the most. Uh, you get a. You get everyone gets a medal way of winning. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares wow, about uh, yeah. you know the second son? Now we have a, yeah. a three drop that makes yeah, you exactly, giggle. Yeah, exactly. Only, well, I mean, if only Crazy. it had. I mean, you're, there's. Plenty of ways to give it flash, but if only it had flash. Pay four mana for flash. Everything in <laughs> So I think the other commander stable that we're seeing here is Kenra, uh, Kenra's Transformation. And this was actually leaked as the FNM promo coming up. It's a two-drop enchantment that's in green. Enchant creature, when Kenra's Transformation enters the battlefield, draw a card. And enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a green elk creature with base power and toughness 3-3. Three, three. It's a green creature removal that gives you draw? What? I mean, I could see that being in standard. Uh, absolutely being be in standard, but this is going to be, be a guaranteed add in um well, yeah, in commander. In commander, yeah, but So you got to think about it like in in standard, it's absolutely going to get played. Oh yeah. But it's going to be played Player Carefully, gonna make it into a, an elk. Because if you're gonna give him a three-three creature and it, you know, like a beast within effect, mm -hmm. you have to be very yeah. careful about it because they can remove the enchantment. It's not near as good as a beast within. Mm -hmm. In commander, it's easily value because you're shutting down their commander and it's not gonna go back to their command zone. Right. So it's more yeah. prevalent in commander than it is standard, but it's absolutely going to be used in well, standard. I, yeah, didn't say it was not going to be. So I think we need to talk about probably. Well, I don't think this one's strictly. This one won't be standard. It doesn't be played everywhere. Um, this card here called So Tiny. <laughs> so tiny. Flavor Town, it's guys. So good. Flavor Town. So tiny. <laughs> so 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 tiny is a one blue enchantment. Flash, flash for one is pretty good. Uh, enchant creature. Enchant creature gets minus two, minus zero. It gets minus six minus zero instead as long as its controller has seven or more cards in their graveyard. Do you guys feel the mill strategy right now? Because oh I'm feeling God. it. Nah. I just feel dirty. I need to take a shower now. This is definitely a good card in, in like, I, I think this is a good card in limited if you're going for like a blue, black, uh, more control-ish thing and um, it basically grows the longer the game goes. Like, 
your opponents play like the big five drops or four drops, and then you have six or seven cards in the graveyard, and um, it's a really good one mana, just do nothing. And then you have your zero five looking at the board. Um, I think this is a pretty fun card. I don't see it played in any other format other than like limited. I don't even think it's good enough for standard, but that's it. The I'm, flavor is just. I have to prove you wrong now. Funny, we, and I. Well, I, would love I mean, to, if I would you love think about it, it though. Yeah, you think you will play it? In... Well, if you think about it, it though, but you go into a standard game, they play their big creatures. You're gonna have cards in your graveyard. I mean, you're gonna have seven or more if you're playing instance of sorcery, especially, especially when Rob plays mill. Well, not even mill. It's even even <laughs> in blue. If I, you know, you play is it? You're gonna have instant sorceries in there. You could easily put that on a creature for one and flash to give them minus six. And the that f- stops yeah, almost everything. Enough? I mean, it's an enchantment, right? Is it so good enough? You can play in standard. There is more. <laughs> you can play it on their turn. I'm gonna cast this. All right. After it resolves, <laughs> bam! I'm gonna make it into a, either a minus two or a minus mid, six. Mid combat. Mid combat. Sure. Mid combat. Why not? Your five five with my five five. <laughs> Give it minus two minus two. Everything. And time. minus two minus zero. Yeah. Or minus six minus zero. So the last card I want to go over is just a little bit poke fun at flavor. So Return of the Wild Speaker, we actually see here, it, it's less of the card because it's a five-drop instant where you choose either draw cards to the greatest uh, non-human you control or non-human creatures get 3-3. Three, three. But the more important thing in this card is we see Garuk, and he looks like he's getting cleansed across the card, and on the bottom it says, the curse is broken. So now we finally <gasps> have proven he's no longer oh, cursed. Shit. So I saw that uh, flavor text. In War of the Spark, everybody complained, where's Garuk? You know, we see all these other Planeswalkers, where's Garuk? Well, to be fair, if you're going to make this super uh, secret story where it's, you know, essentially attracting all the Planeswalkers to come to one plane and then Nicol Bolas kills them all, we can't have the one Planeswalker that's known to eat Planeswalkers take the fun away from Nicol Bolas. <laughs> so they couldn't do it, but they said that they had a st- uh, story lineup that says why Garuk wasn't there, and this really, mm. you know, finally fills it up. There's a ton of spoilers out there. We just picked some of our favorites. A lot of good ones. Certainly keep up to date with it. Mythicspoiler.com. They keep aggregating the data as the leaks come out. Use it. Share with your friends. And get hyped about the set, even though we're scared to purchase the product because of the cost effect, because <laughs> of collector sets. But the next things I want to go over is, again, the deck spotlights, the highlights. And for standard, it's rotating. So... It's really hard to talk about decks, but I just want to give one shout-out to Simic Nexus. We've talked uh, last week about Mono Red. I'm just going over decks that have been part of the meta for a while. And Nexus of Fate, when it came out as that Biobox promo, has certainly you know, r- uh, raised some eyebrows in the power level. It is a 7-drop, take an extra turn, and then put it back in your deck so you can do it again. So... It's a four of in this deck list, and it's a control deck to loop out Simic Nexus to win the game. It's been in standard since Simic Nexus has been out, and it's super powerful. I think it's number three on the powerless charts for standard. So before the set rotates, if you got some cards, it's only $206 in paper. Give it a try. Otherwise, keep prepping for the new rotation cards. Make sure that uh, you have M20 and beyond pulled out of your lists when it comes out <laughs> as far as a modern i called it out after the stone blade or excuse me uh stoneforge mystic got unbanned everybody's like well what's the new deck archetype going to be 
and people have done a lot of things. I've seen, you know, uh, Stoneforge Mystic Pox decks, black-white. I've seen white-green for ramp, which is, in my opinion, not necessary. But the one that I called out was there's going to be, it's going to be white-blue control with Stoneforge Mystic. And sure enough, that's what's showing to finally hit the meta charts is a Azoria Stoneblade, and it's using the new powerhouses of the, just pulling it up here, Force Negations are a four copy. It's using, of course, Cryptic Commands, and even Board Wipes for Supreme Verdict, because you know you don't have to worry about it if your sword's still out there. That's not going to die. And it's really showing prevalence. It's, it's top 5 owing online. It won first place in CG Modern IQ Brooklyn. It's really showing real results. Give it a look. MTGGoldfish.com has a fantastic algorithm showing the actual meta based on win percentage. So certainly uh, check this deck out. Well worth uh, peeking at. And because most modern decks, including this modern deck, is $1,658 in paper... You know, you, you can't get into modern for that uh, that price unless I mean, uh, you can. your money begs McGee. Unless you're, you know, Bill Gates or something. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if Bill Gates does play Magic. He probably just collects all the cards like, <laughs> I got stuff you guys don't. He probably collects... I think he's, I think he, he, he's, a, he's a really big nerd, so it might fit, <laughs> um, but uh, he's, I think he's spending his time... Let's be honest, he probably has all the guild bonuses. Not Gilded, but uh, Black Lotuses. He's waiting for... Yeah, he has all the Black Lotuses. He's waiting for the card, the Cursed Apple, to come out and throw in a Beldrain just so he can meme it at Apple. <laughs> but no. He, he, he's probably he's probably playing the this new standard uh, Gates deck. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> On that note, I sip coffee in was... Punny Glee. Yeah. So, the budget deck I want to go over, just to <laughs> talk about how modern can be a very affordable... Um, Saffron Olive made a crazy deck this week. Um, it's called Ajani Sisters. There's an old deck called Soul Sisters. And it uses cards like Soul Warden, where, again, Soul Warden's a one-drop, one-one human creature. And it has the, uh, the phrase, whenever another creature enters the battlefield, gain one life. So you fill it up with a bunch of token generation with specific cards like spect uh, Spectral Procession, which is a 3-drop, put 3-1-1 white spirit uh, creature tokens into play. And then now it's abusing Ajani's Pride Mate. So whenever you gain life, put a 1-1 counter on Ajani. It's abusing all these certain effects, and you gain a ton of life, but you want to use it in different places with Sarah Ascendant, which is a 1-drop, one 1-1 one with lifelink. But as long as you have 30 life or more, Sarah Ascendant gets 5-5 five, five and flying. It's a gross modern card. So this is a known staple, but how they changed it to make it more budget is they're using four copies of Ajani Strength of the Pride from M20. It's a four-drop Planeswalker that allows its zero ability is if you have 15... Um, excuse me. If you have at least 15 more life than your starting life total, exile Ajani and each artifact and creature your opponent controls. So you're board wiping yes. for zero yes. as long as you have enough life. Yes. So this deck Interesting. did crazy on the test run. You can see, go to his YouTube page. It's MTG Goldfish. He did this as a budget magic. 
and it really did great. And the whole deck cost $96. Certainly beats yeah. the $1,600 that we saw for other decks. Well, it depends on who you are. Well, that and if you're playing um, The Rock, which I think is now over two grand, mm -hmm. this is a better way to get into Magic. Give huh. it a try. Go online. It's uh, $45 online for MTGO. Well worth the time uh, spent building this deck. Shout out to Saffron Olive. One more detail before we get out of the news. This kind of excited me. So, you know, we, we're hard on Wizards. We complained about no coverage. We talked about collector's boxes, you know, being a, a greedy grab. They have these online exclusives that seem just to benefit them. But what they're doing is they're now offering retail improvement grants to WPN stores. They just announced this yesterday. I'm pretty excited. Having grants available to stores they wouldn't have normally have those ass, uh, assets available to to literally improve their locations. And again, there's a lot of requirements, and it's an application process, but I think this is fantastic for a lot of those old stores that really wouldn't have the opportunity otherwise to improve their store. They're just showing that they're taking the initiative that magic has grown tenfold. Well, let's make sure our stores do as well. So good on you guys for putting out this program. I can't wait to see how this is going to turn out. Well, that concludes our news for this week. Pierre, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you, buddy. So uh, we, we, ta we heard a little bit about your product, but before we do that, I want to hear more about you. Um, you know, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, so I'm, I, I was raised on a small farm in northern Germany with like 80 people in my village. Um, luckily, I found magic to be an outlet to enjoy the boringness in that area <laughs> so i was playing magic when i think when i turned uh 15 ish um my best friend uh, showed me how to play and then um i think we, our first moment was legacy so because the nearest town they all only played legacy and i remember back in the days when i think the most expensive card i bought was like a gaius cradle because i was into into like the back back in the days called elf ball list with like the devore dragon um, I don't know if you remember that one, but uh, or like uh, the Emrakul when he was spotted. I do. Um, and I think I paid like 35, maybe 40 bucks for this Gaius Cradle. And this was the, the first expensive card I bought. And I said to my best friend, like, this will be the last card because it's so expensive. I, I will ever buy Cradle is like whatever, 200 Something. Little did you know. Yeah, and of course it wasn't the last card. And um, yeah, and then I uh, studied um, computer science. Yale, which is the hometown I'm living in right now. It's a, like a 200,000 people town. We have a local game store. Um, and then while studying, was the I was the creator of Boardifies. Um, these were the, the black bordered perfect size fits. If nice. you have any white-bordered card, um, I, some of you have seen it on Reddit. Uh, if you have a white-bordered dual land, for example, a revised or unlimited, you could just leave it in this black-border sleeve and then fake it as a black-border one. And I was just, I think I was sitting down with some friends and I had, an, had like a black marker and I was just like marking it on top of a sleeve, like not on the card, but on top of a sleeve. And I was like... There must be a way to to print this as a as a product. So I was researching and making a landing page and um, basically ordering these sleeves from from like uh, a manufacturer. 
So do you still offer these that leaves? For... Nah, I, I think I did it for like one and a half years and I was approached uh, by, by Ultimate Guard. Uh, we met up in Southern Germany and then eventually we met, because I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a pro in making sleeves, right? It's not my, it's neither my dream business of doing for the rest of my life, nor am I a professional in, in manufacturing. So we came to terms and they added Bodifies to their uh, product line. And I think the royalties uh, stopped this year. Um, but it was it was some some decent money, and I basically used uh, all the resources I got from from this little project. To start uh, Mage, well, back in the days called Snapcard. So, but um, basically, this was the foundation of of the new company that I built with one of my co-founders who I met in university. So that's fantastic. that's a little bit about my background i've been always been playing magic always been doing some some projects and magic uh and uh it's just fun to to see how the space is changing how it's growing um I, i'm a big fan of the community and i can't wait to to be to to do more in the space excellent so what is mage let's let's go over a, a deep dive of the product shall we oh yeah 100 percent. so um we're a really young startup, like just about two years old. Um, and as startups usually do, they change the direction of their business really frequently, way faster than other companies because they need to find a way to make it work. And we essentially started as an app to scan magic cards. So you could have your phone and use the camera to scan cards and have them categorized, sorted in your collection. So you, you would see the prices, you would see the price changes. Um, but the problem with this product was that uh, while it was growing, we had like 25 to 30,000 users, um, there was no real way to, to, um, to maintain the service because it's really expensive, you know, like software developers and server costs. So we had to find a way to, to finance it in a way. And, um, the only way we, we tried like subscriptions and paper download, but m the, the real way to finance it was for us to have some sort of buying and selling integrated. First iteration of snap cards, there was like really primarily on collections and, uh, and seeing the value. And then we added like the marketplace somewhere in the app, like in a, in a tab, you know, like somewhere hidden. Um, and <laughs> so, so the, the marketplace was just not really present and people downloaded the app for the scanner and didn't download it for buying and selling. So eventually we decided to, to re reintroduce the, the whole product or the whole team, uh, into a really strong focus on the marketplace. So we, we renamed the company from Snapcardster because it was a really long name and no one really remembered it and had a hard time to, to pronounce it. Uh, and it was really obviously heavy on the, on, on the scanning because of Snap. We renamed to Mage and we focused on making the buying and selling experience the, the best on the web. And a quick summary, so if you buy on Facebook groups, WhatsApp groups, Instagram, uh, you name it, there's always the risk that you might receive uh, a wrong condition, the wrong language, 
the wrong um, uh, what's it called uh, the wrong set, and sometimes you might even get a fake or the the receiver says I didn't got the the envelope although he he got it. So there's a bunch of ways you can get scammed on the web, eBay or any other website where there is no middleman. You directly buy from a private person. That... A really similar service to eBay where you buy from a stranger. But even in the very early days, we've noticed that there's a lot of people who complain about the wrong. So we said, well, we need to step up our game and we've decided to become the active middleman. So if you buy from any stranger on the web, that person sends it first to our warehouse. And then our experts will authenticate the card that it's a legit magic card, that it's the right set, the one that was ordered. And then we repackage it to the to the buyer and send it to the buyer. So it's uh, way more streamlined than the random envelopes you get from, from people on the web. Uh, you always get a clean, high quality envelope from Mage. And uh, just to give you a quick example, last one is if you buy from 20 different people, uh, back in the days, you would get 20 envelopes from various qualities and, and issues, and you would have to complain with different people, uh, like separate people, if there is an issue. If you buy on Mage, all you get is one envelope because these 20 people send it to us, and then we send it to you in one batch. So it's way more convenient. You always have the single point of contact. You can always reach out to us. Um, so our goal is to make trading and buying really, really safe of course like have really high uh, ease of use that's great i've no i've purchased uh, some you know legacy pieces off of facebook and nothing makes me more nervous i have to use paypal and hope to god that they're going to stand by my money uh, you know i've bought uh, it's tough to admit i've bought a dual land on a facebook swap and a shop group and i it's it's real nerve-wracking man you get it in and you have to you really yes. go through an authentication process and you know, it's just not worth the stress when you got uh, a nice middleman to go through. But um, yeah. I, think... I got a fake foil. I got a fake foil. Was it a foil? I got a fake surgical extraction when it was at peak, like 40, 50 bucks. Um, that was when everyone, I mean, obviously you had to play surgical extraction in modern. Thanks. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't notice that it was a fake until a, a good friend of mine who's selling cards uh, professionally was going through my deck and he was just like, that's a fake. And I'm like, no, it's not. I bought it online. I'm like, holy shit, this is literally a fake. And then we we ripped it open. We didn't solve the blue line. And I was just, I literally was playing with this card for about, I don't know, four or five weeks without noticing. And I was just, I was just sitting in my room like, holy fuck, what, 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 why? And um, at that point, it was just like even stronger for me to to build a marketplace that where this is not happening because it's pretty it's still easy to find fakes but uh, we also want to work with another company that is building uh, a professional scanning and sorting machine where there is a bunch of more um, technical stuff in it so like infrared um, maybe even some other sensors that can can um, on a, a really material level decide whether it's a fake or not a fake so wow we really want to be on a on attack uh, position to to facilitate because at some point so we're really techies we want to build like really cool products around this this market because we we hate receiving fakes and we hate 
uh, people on our platform complain about fakes or the wrong card. Uh, so that's why we, we want to build like the safe haven for trading. Perfect. So I think another point to go off of your product, and I'm, I'm super excited. The product shows not only does it uh, allow you to be the middleman to authentically get cards, but it also allows this the buyers to post what they're willing to pay for a card. So if I'm looking for a card, I don't see it. But, you know, like let's make an example. If I see uh, Snapcaster Mage for... 80 bucks. Well, I'm willing to pay 60 and I put my bid up. And if somebody has a card that they're willing to pay for that, it instantly fills my order. Correct? Yes. So that's that's really good summary. Um, the bidding and asking platform, we were inspired by several websites. There's Goat for like streetwear and sneakers. There is uh, StockX that is a having inspiration for like um, sneakers, watches, and luxury bags. Um, this, this mechanic is is basically from the stock market. Um, this is the way you buy stocks. This is the way you buy Bitcoin. Um, and it just makes sense because the the more there are to predict the price by having the community basically vote for the price, right? Every bid is just your, your way of saying, this is the card price, not the one that's listed. So if there's a bunch of people saying, no, I want to pay 70 bucks for a snap Carson, not 80, then the, the price will go down because eventually um, it's too hard to sell it at 80 if there is such a high uh, community of, of people only paying 70. So what we've experienced in, in the US is that there is a small group of companies, big five, that are essentially buy listing and, and making up the price on their shop. Um, and I don't think that's the market price. I think the market price is in the hands of the player, of the players and the community. And by offering these players a, a way to to and essentially say, I'm only willing to pay 70 and not 80, um, then you can a make cards more accessible because you have cheaper prices, and also sort of have a more transparent price and or into stocks and Bitcoin, there's this word called spread, like the difference between the buying and selling, and uh, or like some more information about that. But um, essentially, the more transparent the prices are, we also show all the transaction histories. So that's that's perfect. It the... sounds like the place where I can go to get my Renin 6 for like five bucks. No. <laughs> no, no one will pay five <laughs> bucks for a Renin 6. I'll pay five bucks for Renin 6. <laughs> You, you, um, you greasy yeah, so this skin. bidding platform has a lot of pros. Um, if you, for example, a uh, quick example for the Stoneforge Mystic. Um, a good friend of mine was uh, like speculating that the Stoneforge would be unbanned because he wanted to play it in modern. So two days before, he was thinking whether he should buy them at an already high price. But if the card would not be unbanned, then the card would be worthless or wouldn't, be, wouldn't keep that price. So if he if he would have had a platform where he could make a bid, he would just basically say, um, "I'm I, while this price is too high right now, I'm willing to 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 bid something, whatever." And then if the card would not be unbanned, the card would go down. Or there's there's so many more things you can you can preemptively set your own price. Uh, let's say there's a um, there's a spike, um, there's a specific card going up and up and up, but buy into that spike because it's too expensive but at some point maybe a week later or two weeks later you want to have that card but you're not really urgent 
you could make a bid for, let's say, 15 instead of 30, authorize the bid, sit back and relax, and then at some point the card will, will go down again. And some people use notifications or like specific tools, but all you have to do is just put in the bid and then the moment the card price goes down, it automatically buys it for you. So there's so many things you can do by bidding and asking that you couldn't do on the traditional websites. So the questions I got is, I'm trying to get this from a, a customer standpoint, that's fantastic, but let's talk about seller standpoint. You know, I've, I've sold cards on different uh, different websites, uh, you know, Facebook, I've sold them on the TCG <laughs> players. What is the percentage for being that middleman? So um, if you're a professional company that is selling as a business, a registered tax paying business, you can always, and you, and, and you have a high reputation, like good quality, good shipping time, you can still send directly to the buyer because um, it's all about the private to private transactions that are insecure. So if you're a shop, if you're whatever, like a small local gaming store that is doing a really good job, you can always sell to the, the, the private buyer because we trust you as a business, as an honest business to do good service. Uh, the, the companies is actually cheaper than for the private people because we want to incentivize um, these shops that do a really good job on, on selling. So we, we want to have overall a really high uh, quality insurance. So for private to private, we will be in the middle where it would be a middleman charge. For businesses, it would be about 10% flat fees. Gotcha. So that's 10% fees for the established businesses that are now, we can say, a approved, you know, mage certified dealer that'll just go directly from store yeah, we, to their Yeah, we, we haven't made up a word yet, but sort of like that. Yeah, we are, we are also, um, we will have uh, regional fees. So um, based on the local economies, based on the uh, shipping uh, costs of, of, uh, of cards. So I don't think we will have, since we, we operate globally, we will have an office in, in US and in Germany. There will be like a one-fits-all economy. It's same as Amazon. Amazon has also different fees in Germany than in the US. So um, I, I don't think I can make an, a, a definite uh, uh, word on, on the fees right now, but it will be ballpark would be like 10%-ish. Well, that certainly gives us a uh, an idea of how uh, that, that works out, and that actually seems uh, pretty fair. I mean, you know, you got to compare it to say the other stores, and I'm seeing you know even like TCG Player, they're sitting at over over 10 percent plus. There's a you know swipe fee plus there's a 50 cent fee, so that's definitely seems fair. Right, right. and um the the other thing I would say the benefit is um by using using Mage as a, as a shop. Is you can you can sell that dead stock like cards that are not selling. So if you think of an of a listing marketplace like TCG Player, you have to compete with the prices of your other competitors of the other shops. Um, so the moment you say, "Hey, I have this bunch of cards that I'm not really selling," I need to manually log in and change the price and lower them by whatever twenty cents or twenty percent. Age since you have bids like already for cards. You, you see the highest bid and you can just press the button sell now because you have the bids from the other part, part, party of the marketplace and you can just add like, I don't know, 100 cards to sell now and instantly sell them. So you don't need to wait until someone buys from you. 
you can actively sell to people, which is a really high benefit to to enable more liquidity for businesses to uh, to just sell cards that are never really selling. Um, and you, you have you can predict your revenue more. Uh, you can just maybe even flip cards easier if if that's your main business. So the bidding and asking platform is just the stock market is using it and the reason is it has more applications and it's more secure so let's talk a minute about your development process you said that you have a mm -hmm. team you've worked now for two years and again it hasn't been completely dedicated because you had a different product but you know what what team do you have what do you prioritize how do you prioritize give us a little uh insight on the inner r&d of mage uh, that's a pretty pretty interesting question i never heard of that before um, so i uh, we are a team of uh, four software engineers, uh, one marketing uh, a guru, like marketing manager, and one person who's into customer service. So um, overall, we are six people um, or six six employees um, and two co-founders. My co-founder is Malta. He's the technical person who's doing most of the back-end engineering. I do the front-end engineering for the website. So uh, I have a background in, in web development and HTML, CSS, JavaScript, or, uh, React. Um, sometimes you see me on Twitter uh, working late night. Um, I try to stream sometimes, but um, the overall development process looks like we, we put out a hypothesis of a, of a product, like, like Mage, for example, like a landing page where we outline the, the value propositions, the processes we offer and uh, the interface, but that happens before we actually uh, code the product. In the last few months, uh, in the very first weeks, we just had a landing page outlining how the service would look like. And then two weeks later, we, we made a sprint. Um, it's called the, the Google Design Sprint to decide on the overall features that should be included in the first product. And then we basically build a prototype, like a clickable, first really small version of the actual product um, that is not coded that is like a drag and drop uh, tool like a prototyping tool to visually uh, explain how the product will look like and then I think we did like over 150 uh, interviews with actual users like screen sharing the the prototype and then guiding them through the process on buying and selling and then make notes on whether they like it or not. Um, talk about fees, talk about uh, all things they don't care about. And, and I know you did that one-on-one. -on -one. Say it again? I know you did that one-on-one. -on -one. That's a real big point to make is, you know, yeah. you, you have on your page a sign-up sheet. And I encourage anybody to go to your website. It's majormarket.com. And you have on there to request early access and you really have given the opportunity for people to schedule time with you for you yourself, yeah. the CEO of the company, to have a one-on-one -on -one with your customers and talk about the upcoming product and get their individual feedback. And that's really what I uh, wanted to highlight, and I'm glad you, uh, you certainly covered that point, is it's not just, we have this great idea, we're going to make a product and, and see what happens. You're you know, getting that direct feedback from the end user. Yeah, I mean that's that's basically our whole philosophy. Like w w we talked about this before the podcast. There is some some uh, people in the magic space that are not playing magic, um, 
and uh we're different like everyone in the team is playing magic we draft once a once a month um and uh i really want to engage with with my fellow magic players like the people i meet in in friday night magic um most of them did a demo with me in person so not not over screen share but in in person um it just it just it's first it's fun like it's really fun to have random strangers invited um, but second, it's just really, really valuable for us to know what we're building. Um, so it's not like a guessing game the moment we launch it. Well, I mean, just, just taking um, so, perspective. Yeah, it's, just, it's just fun. Taking perspective, you know, a startup company. Let's roll back the clock to when Stitch Fix started, right? It was a, it was a new store that wanted to sell clothing in a different way. You're a new magic card market that wants to sell cards in a different way. You can't imagine Stitch Fix CEO going and individually allowing them to set times, their customers just to set times with the CEO to have a 15-minute heart-to-heart to say, how do you like our product? What do you think needs to change? That it is, It's literally mind-blowing that you've taken that time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I got a lot of feedback from, from Y Combinator, the, the startup accelerator, and the one of the most famous essays of, of Paul Graham, the, the founder of YC, is uh, Do Things That Don't Scale. And having put put aside time for for like this podcast putting aside time for uh, one-to-one interviews that are usually like 20 minutes like that's a lot of time i i had days where i had seven interviews uh, per day um just me and and the, the users uh, does not scale like this is nothing you can do for a, a, a gigantic company this is nothing you can do for um for the the life what, what's it called like the when the when the product is live and there is a lot of um, inbound interest, but I really wanted to take the time and I I told the team, hey, Monday Tuesday, I'm back to back fully booked with people who want to talk about the product. So it's like, in a way it's costly because it's time not spent on the product, but the the overall insights and and people even tweeted that they had a demo with me. Like I, they they were going on Twitter saying I just had a demo with Pierre and it was so amazing. Like that's that's just incredible that people love what we're doing because we've showed them and it's just um, it's been a fun ride so far doing these interviews. So let's go into some of the features again. We we've talked about you guys are the middleman to make sure you're getting an authentic, real product and make sure that it's the quality that they ordered. So mm-hmm. we certainly talked about that. We talked about how you're different on your store. So it's not only buy now, but also this, what you're willing to buy it for and instantly have that mm-hmm. uh, f- order fulfilled. What are some other features that either are coming in the first edition or that you're trying to plan in future editions? You know, the, the stuff that you'll only tell on this week in MTG. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we will still have the original features like scanning cards, which is something that people love already. Like we've, I think we have... A, a, about 5 million cards scanned. I, I haven't checked the numbers yet, but we're using the scanner every day to scan their collections. Um, you can create your DAX folders to sort and categorize your collection. One thing that is coming up um, probably in 2020, because um, it's already end of the year, um, will be Mage Storage, where if you're moving, if you uh, if you need more space, if you if you're like, but if there is, let's say, you prepare for an unbanning, but the card is not being unbanned and you don't want to have it shipped to you and then resell it again, you can select Mage Storage. Uh, so if you buy the card, 
you and and it's being sent to us anyway in the first place, right? Because we want to authenticate it. You can say, I want to keep it in your storage, and then essentially you would uh, store it in our warehouse, which is obviously secure. And then at any point of time, you can withdraw it and have it sent to you. Really? So that's something we were super excited about to launch um, because it just uh, we we even got inbound traffic from from shops that have not enough space for uh, for like boxes and boosters, whatever. So um, we really want to go into into more doing more groundwork, more operational work, um, and not be just a website to buy and sell. Like have a whole operational business behind it. Wow, that uh, that kind of takes the uh, the whole dynamic apart. It's like sending your product that you'd normally sell on eBay into the warehouse just to sit, so it's that much faster for the customer, and you don't have to worry about yes. the stock. I can't even see how that you know would work as a process. Good, good on you. I, that excites me as a seller, much less excites yeah. me as the speed for the buyer. I mean, again, this is not this is nothing we've invented. Like Amazon FBA fulfillment by Amazon has been doing that for I don't know, maybe five years, six years. But not um, for cars. But there's no real. But not for car. No, because it's so hard. Like there is no real um, company, like no eBay, no Amazon, um, looking into the space of magic. Like of course they look into the primary market, like boosters, boxes, sleeves. But um, the singleton market is really under uh, underserved in that uh, regard. And um, one cool thing that I wanted to highlight with the mate storage thing is um, if you store, let's say, lightning bolt from 20, whatever, eight, what's the last lightning bolt? Oh, Stoneforge Mystic, Zendikar, Near Mint English, like a really generic card, you know? Um, you can have it stored in the warehouse. One buys a Stoneforge Mystic in the same settings as your card essentially what we can do is we can send preemptively send your card your copy that you own and then wait for the initial seller to send the same copy back to our warehouse so this is something you can opt out if you don't want your cards to be used for fulfillment but um in general this enables us to even increase the speed of shipping um so basically if you think of a of an asynchronous fulfillment where you, any stranger, like you buy on Mage a Stoneforge Mystic, and we already have, like someone owned that card in our Mage storage. We might send that card to the buyer and then wait for the real seller to send the same card back to the warehouse, right? So there's a lot of things we can optimize for by having uh, a warehouse in the middle um to to facilitate these trades that's that's fantastic that uh I, I can't wait just to you know have some of my cards on on hand and watch them uh watch them liquidate but so i guess the the follow-up questions would be as a you know listener how can i mm -hmm. you know how can i uh, join the process we could certainly go to your website you know, try to sign up for early access but you know when's this all coming out have the the mage app already in the stores like the version 1.0 right the the peer-to-peer -peer market where we don't authenticate we don't have the bidding we don't have the, the the bidding platform the asking platform so this is already live you can you can search for mage in the app store or mage market um if you want to use the i call it the old product the, the version 1.0 for the version 2.0 with all the new fancy benefits of of fulfillment and bidding and asking 
that is coming up uh, next month in the end of October. So um, just sign up for the landing, sign up on the landing page, uh, try to schedule a meeting with me if you want to see a demo uh, and just engage. I'm usually, my DMs are open on Twitter, just um, feedback, any ideas you want to use for, um, I'm super happy to engage with, with everyone. Well, perfect. So now let's say they wanted to join your, your community and, you know, talk with other majors, if you will. I know you guys have a discord as well. So the discord, um, is being sent out the moment you invite people to join mage. So on the landing page, if you sign up with your favorite email address, you are redirected to a thank you page. And on that thank you page, you have your own referral code. Um, that's something you can send out to a friend. Uh, that's something you can tweet out or post on Facebook. And the moment you have invited, I think it was five friends. I uh, let me check. Um, the the system will send you the the invite link to Discord. Um, and I think there's let me check. There's a really active community in Discord. I think it's over uh, it's over 180 so far. And um, yeah, we post like content uh, deck lists. Obviously, priority support for every everyone who has like some issues with anything. New features, high there, fives from Peer. New features are there. The 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 sponsored pro players, the the Danes, the the Ben Stark, Ali Warfield is in in the Discord. So there's a bunch of cool people just to hang out and have fun. Um, so I highly recommend uh, going that way. And if you don't, if if your friends hate Mage and they don't want to click on your referral link. Just hit me up on, on Twitter. Maybe you, you're lucky and I can invite you as well. Well, perfect. I appreciate your time, Pierre. And you got anything else to add before uh, before we close the episode? Uh, not really. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, this is for you as well, like a, a new podcast, if that's correct. And I really love the structure, the, the weekly updates of what's happening in, me, in, in Magic. Um, I think that's a really cool niche to fill. Um, and yeah, and if you have anything on your mind uh, regarding future podcast episodes, I'm, I'm happy to, to engage with you. Fantastic. We're, we're really happy to have you. I, I appreciate you taking the time. I, uh, you know, even though you're in Germany, I do not mind getting up at uh, 630 in the morning, grabbing a cup of Joe <laughs> and, and cranking this out. But uh, make sure. coffee, not Joe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Make sure to follow <laughs> them on twitter it's uh at mage market or you can you know follow uh pierre himself it's uh pure as uh, it p-e-e-r um underscore um from mage is that correct um no it's pure rich so my last name is richelson which is even worse than pierre <laughs> so um it's pure underscore rich short for richelson so it's um pure p-e-e-r underscore rich r-i-c-h fantastic well, again, magemarket.com. Sign up for uh, request early access, and we will see your product come beginning of October. I'm super excited. It's only two weeks away. And uh, Bacon, you got anything for us as well? Or got any questions for Pierre? No, not, not for Pierre. Follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thebaconman218. And uh, follow me on my social medias. I got Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, my Twitter account was brought to my attention last week that it's ba the Bacon Man two one eight one for some odd reason, but yeah, that's all. That's all I got. Excellent. So, uh, guys, thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week in the podcast. Cue the outro.
Thanks for listening to our podcast. <laughs> Dude, are you kidding me? I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Okay. Oh, no. Seriously, follow guys. and subscribe. Or is it just follow? I, you know what? Subscribe, follow, like, share. It's it's oh my. It's on Spotify. It's already on Stitcher. We have the RSS feed on the website. This Check week in MGD.com. That's us. Please share with your friends. Share it up. Outro done. <laughs>